It's HSK Today, a weekly in-depth look at the Henderson Silver Knights and the AHL with your host, Brian McCormick. And here we go on a sunny Wednesday afternoon. This is HSK Today. Brian McCormick here, you there. Lindsey Brown on the other side of the glass as we get you set for the Silver Knights and San Jose Barracuda this evening at the DLC where I now sit. Uh, and for the Silver Knights uh, tonight launching, uh, you could say, uh, honestly, probably the most critical stretch of their schedule this season. It is a six-game homestand. It is their longest continuous homestand of the season. Uh, and for a Silver Knights team that has played much better at home of late, uh, their stretch of games last week against Calgary and Tucson, pushing them to the 500 mark uh, in terms of their home record compared to on the road where they have struggled and where those struggles uh, manifested themselves once again this past weekend in Colorado against the Eagles. Uh, this is a very important stretch for the Silver Knights to take advantage of before their late February and most of March schedule is uh, road heavy. So we'll discuss the homestand to come, the matchups to keep an eye out for tonight against the San Jose Barracuda, who have played the Silver Knights very well this season. In our second segment, we'll be joined by the Vice President of Communications for the American Hockey League, Mr. Jason Chamovich as he gives us some perspective on what to expect for the upcoming AHL All-Star festivities that will be held in Laval on February 5th and 6th. And those festivities also include the AHL Hall of Fame inductions. And with the COVID complications of the last uh, couple of years, there's uh, a bit of a, a backlog of inductees who will finally get their uh, moment and their their uh, honors uh, this uh, coming, well, not, you know, in a couple of weeks, this coming uh all-Star Weekend uh, in Laval. So Dave Andrews, the longtime president and CEO of the AHL, who held the job for 26 years before turning the reins over to Scott Housen, uh, he will be going into the Hall of Fame as a member of the class of 2021. Keith Coyne, the class of 2022. Nolan Baumgartner, the class of 2022 as well. Dave Creighton and Bill Torrey, also the class of 2022. So many, many prestigious names to recognize and honor. Uh, and no one better than Jason Chamovich, who, of course, as the vice president of communications, has been uh, engrossed in making sure that this special day will be just that for the last, uh, I would imagine, uh, several months. So we'll have him on to give uh, a little background on these uh, new inductees and uh, just a, a glance at what the uh, the season across the AHL looks like as a whole. So that'll be a fun conversation in segment two. The Silver Knights tonight, again, the importance of this homestand and the importance of getting wins. And, and again, not to, not to be redundant because we've had these conversations a few times. That's, well, that's what late January is all about, folks, is, you know, teams uh, are what they are and uh, start doing the math on the road ahead for what do they need to do to hit the marks uh, to be playoff eligible when mid-April comes around. For the Silver Knights, they come into tonight's game three points back of San Jose and five points back of Tucson. San Jose has the seventh and final spot in the Pacific Division playoff picture. Tucson has the sixth. Uh, and at the end of last weekend, or pardon me, at the end of last week, prior to heading to Loveland, Silver Knights were within a point of both uh, and a chance to, to leap into that middle-of-the-pack picture. Now, after two losses in Colorado, they've found themselves uh, sliding back a little bit again, but this has always been the case that for the Silver Knights, Tucson and San Jose both have two games in hand on the HSK. Bakersfield is two points back of the Silver Knights. They've had a 
a very challenging start to the season, very comparable to what the Silver Knights have endured this year. But Bakersfield is two points back of the Silver Knights with five games in hand. So they are very much in the hunt for uh, the, the chase for San Jose and Tucson as well. So all of that is to say for the Silver Knights, it doesn't make sense to, to scoreboard watch or to do arithmetic. We're, we're certainly way too far out to be doing magic numbers and tragic numbers. But every team in the conversation, in the mix, in the race with the Silver Knights right now has a better mathematical argument than they do. If the Silver Knights want to be able to look on the bright side, look at the glass half full, any other team that wants to play that game uh, can see their glass a little half fuller. So for the Silver Knights, uh, there are no uh, rationalizations. It's just a matter of, hey, let's start winning hockey games. And this uh, homestand is going to be a significant opportunity to do so. Talking to Manny Viveros after the weekend where the Silver Knights lost two one-goal games to the Colorado Eagles. The effort was there. The late-game urgency was there. Silver Knights just couldn't find enough scoring. And it was a couple of mistakes in their own end that led to goals, and that's a very, very tough building in Loveland to come back in, despite the fact that the Silver Knights went into the weekend in Loveland with a tremendous record all-time at Budweiser Event Center. They were 6-2 and all-time. The uh, Eagles did something that they don't usually do in the head-to-head, which is close out a one-goal game late. And for the Silver Knights, it's been the story all year long that the Silver Knights have just had a hard time finding the the difference-making goal in tight hockey games. Silver Knights now this season are 3-15-3 in one-goal hockey games. It's just it's an amazing statistic, really. 3-15-3 in one-goal games. Now, again, that, that number could be a little bit skewed, but honestly skewed for the worse in terms of this conversation. That you know, There are some one-goal hockey games that, with a late empty net goal become two goal hockey games. So that could be a, a statistic that could be a little bit skewed. But in this sense, we don't even need to address that skewing because we're talking about 21 games, 21 games that did end as one goal decisions. And the Silver Knights have had one point or no points in 18 of them. So that's just for the Silver Knights. It's a head-scratcher. It's a frustration. And we talked about that all year long, how for the Silver Knights, when they're losing games, they're not getting blown out. They're not getting outclassed. They're not getting uh, run out of the building. They're more often than not losing really razor-tight, thin-margin hockey games. Uh, and this weekend in Colorado was no different. And after the game on Sunday, we spoke with Brendan Brisson, who's having a nice individual run and was part of that late push at Budweiser Event Center that uh, was unsuccessful. But about how he felt the overall tone, the overall attitude of the team was, and uh, his own individual performance is what Brendan Brisson had to say. With Brendan Brisson, Brendan, this is another game where you guys had a late third period push. I know not the results you wanted this weekend, but what did you think about the overall effort across two games? I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're down some players. Some guys are up with the Knights right now, but uh, like you said, you know, I feel like we made pushes at times, but it just got to be the full 60 minutes. And uh, that's that's probably what it is at the end of the day. Even with a 4-3 final, this just felt like a game that was overall stintier than that. It was tough for both teams to get pucks through. Did it feel like a tighter game out there? Yeah, it was really tight. I mean, they're uh, you know they're a good team. They uh, play with a lot of speed, so you know it was just about containing them. And you know there's chances going back and forth, but other than that, you know I felt like it was a pretty tight game uh, overall two goals for you this weekend, both from a similar area of the ice. Coincidental, or have you been making a, an effort to, to get to the inside? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, trying to get to the inside more, and 
not, you know, scoring as much as I would want to or, you know, as much as I can. So just, you know, getting the inside more and uh, it's nice to get rewarded, uh, you know, last two games. So uh, it's definitely an area I'm going to keep focusing on. In fact, it was on the power play for sure, but Zachary Manon was out for so long. He's back with you guys. Yeah. Five points since he came back. Is his addition noticeable? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, he's played pro hockey for a long time and, uh, he's just a good guy to have along around the locker room. You know, he gets along with everyone, and you know, he's play on the ice. He's, he's it was the first time I played with him today, and you know, he's uh, really easy to play with. He's always predictable, and you know, on both sides of the puck. So, uh, you know, I feel like our, our line played pretty good together. We uh, created a lot, and yeah, it was it was fun playing with those two. And that was Brendan Brisson, who has goals in back-to-back -back games, and uh, overall, Brisson one of his stronger stretches of the season to this point. He'll come into tonight's contest with two goals and six points in his last five games. And so often we've been talking about Brendan Brisson, his improvement this year, uh, or his, his growth throughout this year, and Darren Elliott's commented on this a couple of times, is the willingness and the, the compete level that you see from him on the perimeter. He goes into puck battles. He digs along the wall. He fights for possession in the offensive zone on those sustained offensive zone shifts. That's good news. At the same time, this is a player with an elite scoring touch for his age group and uh, certainly came onto the scene with a splash last spring. And this year, putting up points, but not in, in deluge fashion. And you heard Brendan Brisson say, I'm not scoring as much as I'd like to, but you got to learn to grow and develop in other areas of the game. But now, over the last couple of games, Brendan Brisson, he's still battling on the outside. He's still growing as a player in those perimeter battles that you need to win to be a full 200-foot hockey player. But we did see him get to the inside. And both goals he scored this past weekend weren't really, you could say to some extent they were the product of broken plays, but they were broken plays in the sense of he was where he was supposed to be and presented a target. In the goal he scored uh, on Saturday in Colorado, the puck comes up to the blue line. Daniel Cheka, who's starting to show a little bit of uh, maturation of his own over the last couple of weeks, gets the puck at the blue line, doesn't just fling it at the net, doesn't dump it into the corner, looks up and sees Brendan Brisson above the hash marks, cutting to the middle, puts it on his tape, and Brisson a quick catch and release, and he scores. The next day, we see a puck turned over up the middle by uh, Colorado that was knocked down by Brendan Brisson. That ultimately led to... Uh, a Zachary Manninen goal. We saw Brendan Brisson on a good forecheck play, a, a failed clear up the middle for Colorado, and for as good as Colorado was this weekend and how good they are defensively, typically, uh, and just to, to add some context to that, Silver Knights were held to just 22 shots on Sunday in a game that felt pretty even uh, in that chat. You heard it felt stingier than a 4-3 hockey game on Sunday, but it was turnovers up the middle that the Eagles made that the Silver Knights capitalized off of, and another one was the power play goal by Brendan Brisson on Sunday where he had a puck come his direction off of a, a bad clearing attempt. Now, one-timer from the tops of the circles that uh, beat Jonas Johansson, but we are seeing Brendan Brisson get off the wall now. At first, we were impressed with what he did on the wall. Now he's getting off the wall. you got to eventually get to the middle again, too, because that's where offense is going to come from, the middle of the ice. And it was very noticeable that he was finding his way to the middle. And someone helping him do that, I think, is another player who's been able to maintain possession, not necessarily with physicality, but with savvy. Maintain possession in the offensive zone and make plays rather than just live on the wall. And that's Zachary Manon, and he's having a heck of a, a return to the lineup for the HSK. And he scored a goal on Sunday that sounded like this. Trying to work into the circle. It was poked off his stick by Olausen, but stays in the zone. Dilibatori towards the net. Save made by Johansson. Rebound score. 
Zachary Manninen finds the loose puck. And Johansson couldn't recover. Manninen has tied the game at three. And that was Zachary Manninen on Sunday afternoon. Zachary Manninen missed 16 consecutive games with a lower body injury. He came back last Wednesday against Tucson. Since he's come back, it's a three-game point streak with a goal and five points in that stretch. That's a massive addition for the Silver Knights up front. And for the rapport that we saw between Brisson and Manninen over the weekend, that's going to be important for the Silver Knights because that allows, with Manninen's willingness to hold on to the puck, wait for lanes to open up, that's going to let Brendan Brisson play more in the middle of the ice. And it looks like from morning skate that we're probably going to see Manninen and Brisson together again for the HSK this evening. So we'll see how that pans out. But uh, over a weekend in which the Silver Knights... Back to the, the, the recipe we've seen. We've seen ebbs and flows. Some of the ebbs have been challenging. Some of the flows have been impressive. But in ordinary time, the, the commonplace, the, the middle of the bell curve of what the Silver Knights have been this season, it's been hard work, competitive hockey, making a push, staying in games, being really tough to play against, but not having that extra oomph uh, to, to make the difference in one-goal hockey games too often. Uh, and this was a weekend where Yuri Patera and Laurent Brassois were, were good but not perfect. And if you need your goaltenders to be perfect to win hockey games, that's going to be a, a tough, uh, a tall order. Silver Knights uh, come out of last weekend against the Colorado Eagles. They, they scored uh, four goals, or three goals rather, on Sunday. And it wasn't enough to win. They've, they've averaged over their last, oh, seven games or so, they've been averaging about uh, over their last six games. Over the last six games, they've been averaging three and a half goals per game. That should be uh, better than 500 over that stretch. So Silver Knights find a little bit more offense. Now they need it situationally. And good news for the Silver Knights is that all indications are, not 100% certain, but from morning skate again, it does appear uh, that Gage Quinney might be available for the Silver Knights again this evening against the Barracuda. Gage Quinney, who missed Sunday with an upper body injury that he has been nursing day to day, which is why uh, it looks like he might be an option for the Silver Knights tonight. He does have seven goals and 12 points in his last 10 games. And again, when you're playing a lot of one-goal hockey games, you need your most productive offensive player to be part of that equation. Uh, Gage Quinney very well may be part of that equation tonight. We will step aside, but when we come back, we'll be joined by the Vice President of Communications for the American Hockey League, Mr. Jason Chamovich. We're going to talk all-star festivities, Hall of Fame inductions, and uh, the AHL as a whole as it's been an exciting season in the American Hockey League Division 2 Division. We touched on that a little bit last week with Patrick Williams. Now we'll get more of the direct league perspective. Jason Chamovich listening to HSK today on 12th of the game. Brian McCormick here with you on the Silver Knights Radio Network. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. I only have one question. Where is Brian McCormick? Back on HSK today, Brian McCormick here with you. Henderson Silver Knights and San Jose Barracuda go head-to-head, the first of two this week between those two. But before we talk more about tonight's contest, let's look a little further ahead to the AHL All-Star Classic and All-Star Festivities. That will be Sunday, February 5th and Monday, February 6th in Laval. And to help us do so, we welcome the Vice President of Communications for the American Hockey League, Mr. Jason Chamovich. Jason, thanks for taking the time this afternoon. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. Good talking to you. 
Jason, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the All-Star festivities. I'm sure you guys are as well, and I'm sure the people of Laval are as well, because this has been a long time coming with uh, COVID complications the last couple of years uh, interfering. But finally, the uh, AHL All-Star Classic is back. It will be in Laval. Uh, what kind of things have, have you guys been organizing for the event, and, and what's the reception from the people in Laval been like? Uh, the reception's been great, and, and Brian, you're right. It, it's been a long time coming. It's uh... I think this weekend is going to be three years since we announced that they were going to be hosting the event. Uh, we were all set to do it in 2021, and then uh, you know, obviously uh, COVID shutting down our season until February of that year uh, before we could get started, so we had to cancel the event then. We were set to do it again last year, and then uh, you know, the, the Omicron variant popped up, and, and we had border issues and, and travel concerns, and, and Laval wasn't sure. Um, you know, by December or so, if they would even be able to host fans in their building come February. So uh, we had to put it on hold again. So it, it, it really has been a long time coming, but they are they are excited. Their staff is excited. The building is, is uh, they're going to roll out the red carpet for us, and, and the fans are really thrilled also. So it's uh, it, it's really going to be an exciting time for us up in Laval next weekend. Jason, there's a lot that goes into the weekend. We'll, we'll touch on each aspect of it if we can. And, and first off, just the, the All-Star Challenge itself, uh, this uh, three-on-three round-robin tournament style, the rosters for the uh, each division's All-Star team was announced uh, earlier this month. Uh, what, what do you think about the, the format and what it offers for the fans in this All-Star setting? I, I think the format is great. We switched to it back in 2016, so we've been doing yeah. it for, uh, for a few years now. Uh, and it's, like you said, it, it's a round-robin, three-on-three, uh, teams representing each of the four divisions in the league, so a, a good chance uh, to really get uh, get to see a, a variety of players that, that you might not normally see, uh, just because of uh, you know the way our schedule breaks down typically during the regular season. Uh, and the format lends itself really well to to our players, uh, not only having a good time but but being competitive. Uh, we play uh, six sort of mini games in that round robin tournament. Uh, so each division plays three games uh, of, uh, of ten minutes each, uh, and then the the two teams, the two divisions with the best records after that Ryan Robin play in the championship game, uh, and, and there really is uh, a lot of pride at, at stake and on the line, uh, and, and we uh, expect this year, just like it's been the last few years that we've done this format, to be a great event. And Jason, with with the format that you guys have had, I think one of the great things too is. With the three-on-three setup, a number I saw that, if I'm remembering it correctly, I think 94% of all-star participants go on to play in the National Hockey League. So you know you're seeing an event that's stocked uh, with with future NHLers. And having that kind of, of format, you don't see a guy and then not see him for six minutes or so. You know, f- This gives you a high dosage of, of high-end prospects for the afternoon. Yeah, it, it's uh, you know it, it's similar to what you would see in a regular season overtime period. Yeah, um, but but really, you know, it, it's it's quick shifts. It's uh, it, it's really rotating through the the guys that are that are on each of the teams. You know, the rosters are relatively small. It's it's only uh, ten skaters and two goaltenders for each team. So everyone's uh, really gonna gonna get a chance, like you said, to, to showcase their skills. Uh, really, at, at, at good stretches at, at a time and. And it is the cream of the crop. It's the best players in our league, and we're the best league outside the NHL. So it is really a chance for some of the top young players in hockey to show their stuff. And that All-Star Challenge tournament will be on Monday the 6th, but the day before, Sunday the 5th, is when we'll have the 
the Rona AHL All-Star Skills Competition, always a ton of fun. I think there's seven skills events that uh, the players will be going through. And, again, with the high-end talent in the American Hockey League, we've seen Martin Furk break records in the hardest shot. There, there's yep. a lot of talent. What are you most excited to see? Yeah, the, the, I think Martin Furk set the bar pretty high for, for events to come with, uh, with his <laughs> shot in Ontario a couple of years ago. Uh, the, the hardest shot is always great. The fastest skater. Uh, the accuracy shooting is always fun. Uh, we usually see in the breakaway relay uh, some guys come out with, uh, you know, pull out some, some tricks that they have up their sleeve that they might not be able to do in a, in a regular season shootout. Uh, the whole event is great. The, the glass is down so that our fans are right up against the action. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the players are interacting with each other and, and the fans the whole time. Uh, it, it really is a, a special and, and, and fun event. And uh, like you said, it's seven events, uh, Eastern Conference versus Western Conference over the course of the day, uh, and a chance for, for our, our, fan, our, our fans to see our players really up close. We're speaking with Jason Chamovich, Vice President of Communications for the AHL. Another element of, of the weekend, again, the, the skills competition on the 5th, the game, the All-Star Classic is on the 6th, and earlier that day on the 6th, the AHL will have its Hall of Fame induction ceremony. They'll be sending in... Uh, several names from the last couple of years in which we've not been able to hold this event. So if we could go through a few of them, I'd love that. And uh, one of the most prominent is, is former president and CEO of the American Hockey League, David Andrews, who held that position for 26 years up until June of 2020. Uh, a mountain of, of a man for American Hockey League history who accomplished uh, just so much in his 26 years. Yeah, Dave, you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to work uh, closely with him in, in literally the office next to his uh, in, in our headquarters for, for 19 years. And, and I, I don't know that, that he gets enough credit in the, the big hockey landscape for what he did, uh, not just for our league, but, but for the sport. Um, you know, creating an American Hockey League that really was, uh, you know, not, not so much before he got there, but once he got there, really became a, the top development league for the NHL. Uh, players, coaches, officials, uh Rule changes, innovations, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, player safety initiatives, uh, really across the board, transformed the league uh, into what it is today and, and what it means to the NHL today. So we're we're thrilled to be able to honor him uh, as as the class of 2021, uh, and then we'll have four members of the class of 22 uh, in Keith Coyne, Nolan Baumgartner, Dave Creighton, and Bill Torrey. Uh, so we'll have all five of those gentlemen uh, being honored and recognized for their contributions to the AHL this year. You know, Jason, as you say, Dave Andrews may not get the, the kind of recognition that or, or be the, the household name outside of AHL fan bases that he should be. When you look at some of the efforts he had, the expansion of the league pretty much doubling in size during his tenure, of course the expansion out west that Henderson Silver Knights fans certainly do appreciate it. You know, th those yep. were, you know, making the AHL into a, a nationwide brand. But on top of that, you know, you have to balance the, the the needs and the concerns of owners and what. These weren't just snap-your-finger decisions. These took work and also probably a little bit of risk as well for him to accomplish these. Yeah, it, it was, you know, the, the Pacific Division uh, enterprise itself was really, a, you know, you've got, you know, it was originally five teams. Um, you're dealing with different ownership groups. You're dealing with... Uh, in some cases, current owners that uh, that would potentially be at, at risk of losing their teams, uh, getting that all put together, figuring out what it was going to look like, and and really opening the door for for the future. Also, where Henderson and Tucson and, and Colorado and 
and now uh, Calgary and Abbotsford. Like it, it's it's yeah. turned into a into a real behemoth, not just for the teams that were involved originally. So to have the foresight and really the ability to to navigate through that and, and all the different moving parts that there were, um, and have the entire league, not just those specific division teams, but the entire league. Uh, wind up being better for it in the long run is is truly remarkable, uh, and that's just you know one small thing like you said that that he did over the course of his 26 years as president. We're with Jason Shamovich of the AHL. Jason, some of the other names you mentioned that are going to be in the class of 2022, I, I'd like to touch on one, which is Bill Torrey, which is a name that a lot of fans in our in our uh, audience probably do remember for his work with the New York Islanders, but. You start in the AHL, not to mention the fact when you're an NHL executive, that hand-in-hand means you're an AHL executive, too. What were some of the contributions that he made that impacted the, the American Hockey League? Yeah, you know, uh, aside from just being a, a, a mentor to Dave Andrews, uh, really, uh, you know, Bill Torrey got his start uh, in professional hockey with, with our team in Pittsburgh back in the yeah. early 60s. He was, he was publicity director. He did some radio play-by-play, you know, sort of a jack-of-all-trades there, uh, turned that into an opportunity to, to get his first job in the NHL with the Oakland Seals uh, as, a, as general manager there, uh, which then turned into, uh, you know, when, when the New York Islanders got their expansion team in the early 70s, uh, really being the architect of, uh, of that franchise. But, but all the while, uh, when he was with the Islanders and, and then later with the Florida Panthers, uh, he served on our executive committee. Uh, he was uh, he was a close advisor, like I said, to Dave Andrews and other members of our board. Uh, was actually a, a founding member and, and uh, right through up until uh, the end of his life, a member of our selection committee for the Hall of Fame. Uh, really a, a, a good voice and a connection to to our past and our history, and somebody who was really well versed in in uh, the, the tradition of the American Hockey League, and it, it was an important piece for him, too. You know, the, uh, with the Islanders, he he had his, his development team in the AHL, and, and the same when he, he was with the Panthers and and knew how important the AHL was uh, to the NHL and, and, and to the teams that he helped run. You know, Keith Coyne is another uh, name, a uh, current name going into the Hall of Fame that I think fans would remember. An undrafted player who played Division Three hockey, but... Uh, a perennial AHL All-Star, two-time Calder Cup champion, and as you mentioned, Jason, the AHL is the second-best league in the world. When Keith Coyne wasn't in the NHL, you know, in between call-ups, you could say that his AHL time, there's a stretch of years there where he was probably the best player in the world not playing in the National Hockey League. Yeah, you know, just just on numbers alone, you could say that, but, but what he meant to the teams that he played for, uh, whether it was just coming out of, of, of Division Three hockey and and uh, sort of breaking through to, to find a, a job in the pro ranks to begin with, uh, developing himself into an NHL prospect, an NHL-caliber player, and, and then in his later years sort of moving into that, that more veteran role uh, and, and serving it as, a, as sort of a mentor to some of the younger players that were coming after him. Uh, he's a top-ten scorer in our league history, and that says a lot for a league that's got 87 years now under its belt. Um, and you know that's without even getting into the Calder Cups and the MVPs and the scoring titles and and everything else he did and and all the while being a sort of a reliable call up. You know, he wasn't uh, just in our league. He played in the NHL in in Carolina and St. Louis and and with the Islanders and Washington for a, for a long stretch. Uh, he was a he was a reliable player for for a very long time in our league.
And uh, on, if I'm not mistaken, I believe last year Andrew Podorowski broke the 100-point the mark. I believe the last person to do that was Keith Coyne in 2009-2010. So uh, a prolific offensive player. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, and we're with Jason Chamovich, the vice president of communications for the AHL. Nolan Baumgartner and Dave Creighton will go in as well. You mentioned Bill Torrey was a, a member of the Hall of Fame selection committee uh, for a time. And I... While we're on this Hall of Fame topic, if there's any insight you could give, I'm sure a lot of our fans would be curious what that selection process is like because there's just so many great players over such a long period of time to to go through. How are those decisions made? Yeah, we've we've got a uh, we've got a, a committee of, of uh, about six people now, um, all with with uh, ties to the league with with a strong, uh, real background and knowledge of the history of our league. Um, and really, we've, we've since the Hall of Fame started in 2006, we've, we've almost been playing catch-up because we had, at that point, 70 years' worth of history uh, that we didn't have a Hall of Fame to recognize. Uh, so we've been, uh, you know, we've been going through year by year and, and really making sure that, that we're recognizing and, and, and highlighting and celebrating all the people that came through going back to the start of our league in 1936, uh, the, the people that... Uh, that really made our league and shaped it into what it is today. Well, Jay's is going to be uh, just fabulous initiatives during All-Star Weekend in Laval. And I don't want to misdirect. Uh, I, I believe I know the answer, but you can tell me for sure. Uh, the All-Star Classic Skills Competition, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, will all of those be viewable on AHL TV, all three of them? Yeah, all, all three events on AHL TV and uh, for, for television viewers in, in the Henderson area. Uh, the skills competition on Sunday the 5th will be live on NHL Network, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific for that. Uh, the NHL Network will also have the All-Star Challenge on Monday the 6th. Uh, that will be at 4 o'clock Pacific. Uh, and then NHL Network typically does some re-airs over the next uh, following days. So if you miss it live, uh, there will be plenty of chances to see it. Or it will be free streaming on NHL TV. And, and uh, anybody up in Canada can also see it on TSN, Coast to Coast. That's, uh, again, terrific. It's going to be uh, an all-star break for the players not participating, but it's not a break for the all-stars themselves. It's not a uh, break for the viewers, so make sure you're tuned in uh, over the course of all-star weekend. Jason, before we let you go, just to get your general comment, uh, what, a, what a great season we're having, and, and just from division to division, there just seems to be so much balance. No one's truly running away with anything. All teams are within punching distance at the very least of that final playoff spot. How are you uh, enjoying the storylines, being a PR man, the, the storylines that we're seeing from this AHL season? You know, it, it's been outstanding, uh, and it seems like we say it every year, but uh, it really is true. I, you know, they, on paper, you know, there, there are teams that are certainly uh, starting to pull away at, at the tops of their divisions, but you know, I don't think there's any clear-cut runaway favorite for the Calder Cup at this point, and uh, you know, we're going to have the uh, same playoff format as, as last year, so 23 teams are going to make the playoffs. Uh, we're going to have, uh, uh, you know, the full complement of, uh, of seven out of the Pacific Division. And, and uh, you know, you look at, at what Coachella Valley and Calgary have been doing there, uh, starting to pull away cream of the crop at the top of that division. But, um, you know, one of them is going to have to play a, a best-of-three series to get into the uh, the division semifinals. And, you uh, I think everybody else in that division from, uh, from Colorado and Ontario and, and Abbotsford and Bakersfield, uh, you know, all, all the way down the line. Anderson, I think, is only three points out of a playoff spot right now, and there's Correct. there's still a full half season to go. So it's, 
it really is anybody's game. It's, it's going to be a really exciting stretch run here. Uh, you know, the last two, two and a half months after the All-Star break are, are always, always exciting, and it, uh, it will be again, and, and the Calder Cup playoffs should be, uh, should be fantastic also once we get there. Let the races begin. Ready, set, go, and we'll kick it off with some all-star fun. Jason Chamovich, Vice President of Communications for the American Hockey League, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon, uh, and enjoy Laval. We'll be watching. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. That is Jason Chamovich of the American Hockey League, and, uh, again, what, what an exciting few days it's going to be in Laval and uh, a sorely missed uh, sorely missed festivities uh, for All-Star Weekend, where, as Jason said, not only do the Hall of Fame inductions allow us to, to take a glance back and just see so many players that uh, very rarely are, is there a name going into any Hall of Fame that you've not heard of, but you know, some of the movers and shakers of the American Hockey League who played big roles uh, in the NHL as well. As we look at the other inductees that we didn't uh, delve into too deeply, Dave Creighton, I believe played 600 games. I mean, I, let me take a look at the notes here so as to not uh, lie to you all. Yes, Dave Creighton, one of only four players in hockey history to skate at least 600 games in both the AHL and the NHL uh, as he played in the uh, late 40s to the late 60s, a 21-year professional career for Dave Creighton. So, uh, again, players who, who paved the way for the evolution of the American Hockey League and uh, played in a different time like Dave Creighton when you know, the AHL and NHL wasn't you bounced between, per se. You, you, when you were an NHL player, you were an a NHL player. When you were in the AHL, you dug in, and you had many, many years uh, in the American Hockey League as well. So it's going to be a great uh, weekend for looking back and a phenomenal weekend for looking forward uh, as future stars in the National Hockey League are on full display at uh, AHL All-Star Classic Weekend in Laval, 5th and 6th. And as uh, Jason mentioned, you can watch that on AHL TV or you can watch it on NHL Network, and they'll be uh, rebroadcasting uh, all elements throughout the week as well. So while the HSK are, are away, uh, still great hockey for you to be keeping tabs on. Daniil Miramanov was selected as the all-star to represent the Silver Knights. Of course, Daniil Miramanov not with the Silver Knights and also injured. Uh, so as we get closer to the event, we'll see if that uh, remains. We'll depend on what his timeline is to get back. It doesn't sound like... Uh, Daniil Miramov is expected back on a timeline that would get him to Laval, but uh, perhaps there will be a, a different representative for the Silver Knights. That will be determined later on, but it will be a great weekend, uh, and we hope everybody will be tuned in. We will step aside. When we come back, we'll wrap things up on this afternoon's HSK Today and get you primed for Silver Knights in Barracuda later on this evening at the DLC. Brian McCormick here with you on HSK Today. You're listening to 1230 The Game, the Silver Knights Radio Network. A man become preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Brian McCormick. Back on HSK Today, Brian McCormick here with you. Big thank you to Jason Chamovich, the Vice President of Communications for the American Hockey League, joining us in our last segment. Lots of great information of what to look forward to during AHL been a, uh, a price drop down if you will for ahl tv so even more affordable and available on multiple devices so you can watch where you want when you want the way you want visit ahltv.com and sign up today ahltv.com silver knights in san jose barracuda getting after it this evening at the dollar loan center silver knights have dropped four of the first five meetings with the San Jose Barracuda, some of them tight, some of them a little uh, more 
one-sided. The Silver Knights have been shut out this season by the Barracuda. That was at the hands of Aaron Dell back on October the 22nd. They shut out the Barracuda back on December the 14th. Laurent Brassois blanking the Barracuda. The last time these teams met was back on January the 4th, a 4-3 shootout victory for the Barracuda at Tech CU Arena. Uh, and you know what's interesting is that as we see these two teams Three points separate them in the standings, as we mentioned. San Jose right now has hold on the final playoff spot in the Pacific Division. They also have two games in hand on the Silver Knights. It's a team that's actually kind of comparable, kind of comparable to the Silver Knights in in many respects. And one is that it's a team that has goal-scoring weapons on its roster, that doesn't really score a lot of goals. And we've talked about that throughout the season. Silver Knights have not been an offensive juggernaut this year. They are 30th in the league, averaging 2.64 goals per game. San Jose and San Diego are the only two teams behind them. The Barracuda have averaged 2.55 goals per game, as have the San Diego Gulls. So this is a Barracuda team that has some very, very highly touted prospects for the San Jose Sharks. William Eklund, a top 10 pick in the NHL draft. He has five points in his last five games. Thomas Bordalo has three goals in five games against the HSK this season, the close friend and former teammate of Brendan Brisson at the University of Michigan. But Thomas Bordalo has three goals and six points in his last seven games. So he and William Eklund uh, have been consistent contributors offensively for the Barracuda. There just hasn't been much more with them. Uh, as uh, Andrew Agazzino, a veteran who's put up great numbers in the American Hockey League for a long time, he's been a little bit hot and cold of late. Uh, other members, Brandon Coe uh, has not uh, contributed much. Uh, the back end has been injury-plagued. I guess maybe that's another area of, of uh, similarity between these two teams. It's a team that's dealt with a lot of injuries, and for the, uh, for the Barracuda, it's been a lot of injuries and some call-ups for the Silver Knights has been a couple of injuries, but a lot of call-ups. And right now, Jonas Rombjörg, Byron Fraze, uh, Caden Korzak, all still up with a VGK team that seems to be getting healthier, as was reported earlier this week. Shea Theodore uh, looks like he might be in the very near future uh, for the VGK. They got Brett Howden back as well. Uh, Zach Whitecloud has not been confirmed as, as ready to go yet, but he has been skating, and he apparently was on the trip. So... As the VGK get healthier, the Silver Knights uh, roster will likely get a little bit more robust as well. Uh, but the Silver Knights have Gage Quinney scoring, Sheldon Rempel putting up points. Uh, Zachary Manninen has rejoined the lineup. He's been productive. Brennan Brisson's had a couple of good games. Lucas Cormier's been good. And that's why this is a team that has averaged, as I mentioned earlier, three and a half goals a game over its last six. That's a boost. That's good. That's better. Again, three and a half goals per game compared to their season average, which is 2.64. For a little bit of perspective, if the Silver Knights average three and a half goals per game, if what they've done over the last six games, in which they're 500, but if what they did over the last six games was just what they did, they'd be eighth in the league offensively. So they're playing, this is above average. This is a, a very uh, inflated period of scoring for the Silver Knights, which you, you want to hang on to, and hopefully they can. But San Jose doesn't score goals. They've got talent. They can hurt you on any given night. They don't score goals. They have not been getting the goaltending at all that the Silver Knights have gotten from Yuri Patera and Laurent Brassois, and their back end has been a little bit of a mishmash of, of PTOs, uh, and it's been a bit of the walking wounded. So when you see a San Jose team that really has had the Silver Knights number this year in the head-to-head, -head, it's a vulnerable team.
Um, and for the Silver Knights, they can look at this team and say, hey, we can look in the mirror, and I think the problems that we share, we're in a little bit of a better position. We just need to find a way to win games and, and be the difference maker. Um, and for the Silver Knights, hopefully the power play can be part of that. Their power play is... Uh, produced well over the course of the last seven games or so. I think they have eight power play goals in their last nine games, something like that. On the flip side, this is a San Jose Barracuda team that is a minus 26, minus 26 in first periods. And they've given up 10 power play goals in their last nine games. So this is a Barracuda team that, again, plenty of talent, plenty of skill, plenty of youth, and they're finding themselves as well. Certainly an improved San Jose team over the one that we saw last year that was at the bottom of the Western Conference. But it is a team that is limping along right now. They've won back-to-back games. They're hoping that this is going to be a turning point for them. But prior to the back-to-back wins that they just pulled down, they were 0-3-1. They're four games prior to that. So, again, just as much as the Silver Knights have been going through ebbs and flows, the Barracuda have been going through ebbs and flows. These are two teams that uh, should understand each other very well. This is their sixth time playing one another. Uh, and, of course, they'll play again Friday night. After these two games, there will be just one more meeting between them in San Jose in the middle of March. So, not you know, in addition to all the other factors we've talked about, for the Silver Knights, who on... Uh, on home ice are 10-10-2. On the road, they're 5-14-1. After this six-game homestand, they're going to play 10 of their next 13 on the road. So they've got to be a better road team, period, to have the success they won in the end. That's something that has to improve. You don't put that aside. But you do recognize that, hey, you play better at home. You've won three straight in this building in four of the last six this is an opportunity. This is a strike while the iron's hot kind of opportunity to put yourself in the middle of the conversation of the Pacific Division standings to, to make the gains in hand that other teams have irrelevant and to put yourself a little bit more in the driver's seat. Uh, very important. And for the Silver Knights that played so well in this building last week against Calgary and against Tucson, able to shut down the likes of Matthew Phillips for Calgary, Michael Carconi for uh, Tucson, they lock down the neutral zone. They play physical. They make every inch of the ice hard to gain. That's uh, what they're going to need to get back to again. They did a good job against uh, Colorado in that respect, but too many in-zone mistakes. Neutral zone is where they want to win battles. Uh, and if they can do that against William Eklund and Thomas Bordalo, they're going to put themselves in a very good position tonight against the San Jose Barracuda. Um, but, you know, one more factor that makes the, these next couple of games so important, there's a lot of season left. For the Silver Knights, there are after tonight. Well, not even after tonight. Let's include tonight. Including tonight, the Silver Knights have 30 games left against a variety of opponents. There's a lot of opportunity there to, to make ground or lose ground. But you're three points back of San Jose. After this weekend, you play them one more time. One more time over the final 27 games. The opportunity to take direct action against the team you're chasing is now. After that, you're going to need some help. And over the course of 27 games, you very well might get that help. But this is the opportunity, especially with the games in hand conversation, this is the opportunity to close that gap yourself, put yourself on even footing, and make it a race the final quarter of the season. Silver Knights will look to do just that tonight at the Dollar Loan Center. Great tickets still available. Come join us for a 7 o'clock puck drop. And if you're staying home, puck drop is at 7, pregame at 6.30 with Justin Russo here on 12.30 the game. Special thanks to Vice President of Communications for the American Hockey League, Mr. Jason Chamovich, for joining us and talking AHL All-Star action. Silver Knights, uh, we'll find out who they're sending in the weeks to come, but they look to go into the All-Star break on a strong note. 
kicking off the six-game homestand tonight. Again, puck drop at 7, Silver Knights and Barracuda. Hope that you'll join us. I'm Brian McCormick. Thanks for hanging out with us on HSK Today. We'll see you next week on 1230 of the game, the Henderson Silver Knights Radio Network.